welcome. We have the call to worship. God calls us. We're thankful that we can come to worship Him on His day, to begin and end the day that is His, uh, as uniquely as the resurrection is. We have the call to worship. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Let us pray. We bow our hearts before you, God above, maker of heaven and earth. We come before you, God, thanking you for, again, another day in which you've watched over us. and We've had rest and fellowship through the afternoon, and we've had public praise and prayer, Lord, of your name and the preaching of the word of God. We pray to that end, Lord, above, that your kingdom would be expanded, that you would revive your church in America, God. There's much theological ignorance, much ignorance and practice as well, Lord, where people are told so many lies and half-truths and misinformation about what it means to be a Christian, how it means to act like a Christian, God. We pray and implore your spirit to be among your church in America, God, to bring about faithful preaching faithful teaching of the whole counsel of God and not just the bits and pieces that make people feel comfortable or special or whatever the reason they do these things, Lord. And we ask God the same would be done with respect to practice, that they would be uh, confronted with gross public sins, Lord, not only amongst the pew members, Lord, that is a layman, but in the pulpit, in the ministries, in the the paraministries, Lord, as we've seen uh, over and over again, it seems, to too much corruption therein. And we ask, Lord, that your spirit would be among the laymen as well, the laywomen of the church, that they would expect more from uh, their leadership if they need to, if they have the wrong expectations, and that they, Lord, would put up with less when it comes to public scandals and false teachings and watered-down teaching and practices of the church of God across this nation, Lord. We pray for strong churches, wise churches, God, and that those, uh, <clears throat> Lord, who are struggling and striving, although imperfectly, to follow your word, that they would be encouraged to continue to do so, Lord, and that the members of the church and the leadership leaders of the church as well would be knitted and grow closer together through the power of the word of God. We pray, Lord, for those churches in which that is less of the case and there is serious corruption or uh, manipulation or false shepherds therein or members who are pretending and playing games, God, that you wake those churches up in particular, Lord, and bring uh, worry and fear upon them, Lord, godly worry, godly fear, and repentance. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be with the churches, be with our church, Lord, be with our denomination, be with all denominations and churches that, again, strive and faithfulness is only you know, Lord, and although they'll fall short, but they are trying, God, and that they would be purified by your word and that they would grow in Christ Jesus. We ask, God, in particular for... The COVID situation we find ourselves in, Lord, that there would be a quick resolution, a quick solution, uh, restoration of our freedoms, Lord, and quickly, and especially, God, to help those who are indeed at high risk uh, of this and, of course, other ailments, Lord, that they would get the help uh, that they need to protect themselves, Lord, and to overcome any ailments, including COVID, God, during this season we find ourselves in. We pray for our work situation and our vocation and calling in life, God, uh, that we would embrace them and not flee from how you've designed us from the womb and the things you've gifted us in adulthood, God, that we would use them for the kingdom of God, for our family, for our friends, Lord. And we pray that we would work hard in those callings as mothers, as fathers, as husbands, as wives, as 
members of the church of God as citizens of this nation and their neighborhood, Lord, uh, to vote and work and do and to advise and to teach as we can, Lord, to whomever is around us about what is important uh, to do in this life and our calling, Lord, to be obedient to your law as well as the teaching of your word. And so, God, we pray for our work situation in particular, God, uh, for we need to have money, and we get money through work and employment. We pray for continued gainful employment for all of us, God. Again, our hearts go out to those Christians who've lost their jobs or their uh, hours were cut back because of uh, the COVID restrictions and the like in other parts of this nation, Lord, and in Colorado, that they would get their jobs back, or better job, and get their hours back, God. We pray again for the churches to do what they can to help them and alleviate the difficulties they find themselves in. We pray, God, for those who, even during this time, perhaps are overworked, that they would have uh, bosses that have some compassion upon them, Lord, and especially, again, for those who are underworked, and that we would be wise with our money, wise with our talents, that we would uh, work our best as unto the Lord God at our jobs and our callings and vocations in life. We pray, God, for the church of Jesus Christ as well, for our church to grow and love for one another in patience during this difficult time we find ourselves in, God, and uh, to always rely upon you and to grow in the fruit of the Spirit by your grace and strength alone, we pray. Amen. Let us turn to our Bibles to Acts chapter 28. This is it. Maybe. I haven't decided if I'm going to break this down into a couple more sermons. You'll, you'll see why here. But here we are in Acts 28, uh, 31, the end of the book of Acts. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. So this is Paul. I'll go ahead and read verse 30. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Let us pray. Here we God, we see in summary fashion the call of Paul the Apostle, but not just Paul, all preachers in all churches, to preach the whole counsel of God with boldness and confidence, Lord, in the truth therein. Help us, God, to be strengthened therein and to support such churches and pastors, we pray, especially during these times we find ourselves in. In your name alone we pray. Amen. So we've come full circle in the book of Acts. At the beginning, we saw that this was a book about God's church and her growth. It was a book about God's kingdom and its growth. There in the opening chapters of Acts, Christ taught them about the kingdom, where he spent some time there. Then the believers in the upper room prayed for the God's kingdom there. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put under his authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They're asking about it. Christ gives an answer, not that there is no kingdom, not that the kingdom is not here growing. We know it's like a... Seed planted, but even uh, even its growth is real here. We see through the book of Acts. It's verse 3 in Acts chapter 1. To whom he, that is Christ, also presented himself alive after he suffered by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things. After the resurrection, Christ speaks of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then they ask... When shall we see its fullness? In other words, shall it be restored? And Christ says, 
Just be patient. The fullness of the kingdom will come. Do your job. Preach and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is to preach and spread the kingdom of Christ. That's verse 3, then verse 7. And then God maintained the organization of the church of the kingdom of God by choosing a new apostle in chapter 1, as we know. Pentecost was a great day of expanding the kingdom of God through the conversion and initiation of baptism. And Acts 8, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. During this time, the kingdom preaching continued to pace. We read, but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning what? The kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Again, the kingdom is explicitly there as well as implicitly there in Acts. In Acts 14, we read of Paul and others going about city by city to increase the courage of those living in God's kingdom. It says, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned Lystra to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. I mean, it's there in Acts. This kingdom theme, because it's there in the entirety of the New Testament. In Acts 19, we read, Paul is described as preaching the gospel in the synagogues again. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. That must be part of the call of the ministry of Christ, as we shall see, of the church in particular, to speak and preach things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is described as preaching the things of Christ's kingdom again. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. Beginning, Christ tells them, after the resurrection, before the ascension of the kingdom of God, They preach it in the middle of the book, and they preach it again at the end of the book. But what is the kingdom, and how should we go about preaching it? That's the question. Preaching the kingdom of God, the first point, the nature of the kingdom, and the names, of course, of the kingdom describe part of the nature of the kingdom. It is the kingdom of heaven, therefore emphasizing the origin, its spiritual origin from above. This is mostly used in the book of Matthew, which is written to a Jewish audience, not to offend the Jews by talking about the kingdom of God, but they talk about the kingdom of heaven. That, that, those, those exact words. The kingdom of God, of course, used almost everywhere else in the New Testament, emphasizes the ownership, that God owns this kingdom. It's a unique kingdom. It's different than the fact that he rules all things, right? Satan's under his rule, but we wouldn't say Satan's in God's kingdom. That is the, in the sense in which Christ speaks of it in the New Testament era, in which it's preached here in Acts. We don't say the devil is part of God's kingdom or Christ's kingdom. It's a unique kingdom that way. It is the gospel of the kingdom as well. In Matthew 4.23 we read, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease among the people. So here we have the kingdom and the gospel closely associated with one another. Not the same thing. They're clearly not the same thing. Uh, The gospel is the good news, and the kingdom is what? The rule of God. Kingdom is a domain of rule, and there's a king and a kingdom. That's the word. There's no other word to use. It is a kingdom. The gospel means good news. The kingdom means God's rule. 
was the good news of the kingdom, of God's rule. That Christ preached in the synagogues, Matthew 4.23. To rule over sin, he dominates sin, he overcomes the power of Satan and sin and death. And of course he rules over us. It protects us and guides us and disciplines us. All this in the idea of a kingdom, Christ's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom. That is its nature. It's God's rule, God's reign over his people, a reign of grace and a reign of dominion. Praise be his name. We are in that kingdom even now. The extent uh, of the kingdom It's not to be confused with God's general rule through providence, as I said. Under that general rule, Satan's under God's finger. But in the kingdom of God, as a special domain of his grace, there is no Satan. He's not in that kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, or the gospel of the kingdom, or the kingdom of God. He's cast out. He's not there at all. It is narrowly over his people. That's the extent of it. It started out small, and it grows over time. Wherever the church resides, it is there in God's kingdom. It is not confused with the church. The church is a a more narrow concept in some ways than the kingdom. Sometimes they overlap in the language of the New Testament era. But the emphasis of the kingdom is God's rule over his people. Wherever you may be, there may not be a local church. Like in the persecution of China or in Africa, right? There's no local actual Organized church. We talk about the organized church, and we also talk about the organic church. There's an organic church. You're a believer. Your family's a believer. You have believers on the street, but you don't have a church in the sense that there's no leadership. It's been devastated by war, whatever the case is. So the church is there, but the church isn't there. But God's kingdom is always there, even if there's no outward uh, organization of a church. Wherever you are, Christ rules in your heart. That is the kingdom. It is to be preached. If you're supposed to preach the kingdom of heaven, if we're supposed to preach the kingdom of God, if we're supposed to preach the gospel of the kingdom, there must be some idea of God's rule in that preaching at some time in the ministry. And so for the first point, the preaching of the kingdom, what is the nature of the kingdom? What is the extent of the kingdom? What's the message of the kingdom? It's the good news, yes, but it should not ever be divorced from the rule of God. It is his kingdom, and it's Christ's kingdom in particular. As the God-man, it is the rule of Christ, preaching the kingdom of Christ, the second point. Not just the kingdom in general, and God's rule over his people through grace and mercy as our King and Lord, but the preaching of the kingdom of Christ in particular, the rule of Christ, the new revelation that he is the head of the church, the new era of his rule, no longer a Jewish rule of outward forms and worship and clothing and food. All that's stripped away. It's a new era. It's the authority of Christ over his people. Matthew 28, 18, we read what? Christ tells his disciples, that's the audience, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And you may ask yourself, well, that's interesting. I thought Christ always had authority. Yes, Christ as God, the divine second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, has always had a rule. He's over providence. All that's true. But the uniqueness of what 2,000 years ago is he became man. There was no God-man before the Incarnation. There is a difference in time and space with respect to his people. And so that manifests itself and changed the New Testament era. No more Jewishness, all that's done away with. And also the language of Christ saying, All authority has been given to me as the God-man. 
and to do these things and to redeem my people and to be over them in their kingdom. He protects and disciplines them and watches over them. That's the imagery of him ruling over us. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth to redeem you from your sins, to protect you from the power of the devil, and to purify you and to sanctify you from your sins. That's the authority Christ, Jesus Christ, has been given as the God-man. And so the preaching of the kingdom, the preaching of the kingdom of Christ, the uniqueness of the New Testament era, is to preach the teachings of Christ, right? That should be pretty clear. We read Paul's action here in verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God, his rule, his rules, which would go with his rule, we'll talk about in a bit, and the teachings and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ here in the text. The kingdom and the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. What are the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I would think they would teach you who is Jesus. Paul's going to teach them, this is Jesus. We know that from the other text in the book of Acts. He's telling the Jews, this is the promised Messiah. That's one teaching. And don't you think he's saying, listen to the promised Messiah. Listen to what he has to say. And what does Christ have to say? Matthew 28 again. The commission given to Paul, given to the church, is the great commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and... Disciple the nations. What? Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And so when he, Paul is giving the teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not just things about Jesus, it's also the things that Jesus said to teach. Jesus said, teach them to observe all things that I commanded you. Who doesn't think Paul taught all things that Christ told them to tell everybody? It's the teachings of Jesus you also teach. Not just the person of Jesus, but the words of Jesus. What did Christ command and teach? What did Christ command and teach? Well, we have four books about that. They're called the Gospels. They're called the Gospels. Broadly, he gave kingdom preaching or kingdom teaching. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the kingdom excuse me, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what Jesus taught. A very broad call of repentance, of trust and belief in the good news. That's what the word gospel means. But he also says, broadly, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is clearly a broader concept. The kingdom is clearly broader than the gospel. It's the gospel of the kingdom of God. The good news is that we enter that kingdom by grace. In grace alone. We know that's what he unpacks. We enter it through repentance and belief. Not by being obedient enough. But did Christ only preach the gospel of the kingdom of God? Of repentance and faith only? One professor answered this question for me. There's a lot of specialty studies you can get, a lot of essays perhaps you could find if you have the right resources. Uh, commentaries cover some of this stuff. But this is quite a specialty question. What did Christ specifically teach? Has someone gone through and counted all the passages and put a topographical, you know, topological tabulation of every topic he preached on? And this is the closest I found. The number of passages concerning which Christ revealed himself, I am, you know, of the Father, I'm the Son of God, I'm the Messiah, and teaching theology as well is about 30 passages he added up. 
the passages focusing on training and reproving the disciples, right? Peter, you're wrong. Listen to me. Why don't you guys understand the parable? Let me explain this parable to you. Stop bickering among yourselves. Remember all those passages, right? About 22 passages. The passages dealing with false teaching, right? And lies. Beware of false shepherds and false and wolves pretending to be sheep. Are about 16 passages. There are eight passages specifically concerning the good news and salvation of Christ as a narrow, specific topic, which could, of course, be included in the broader theological topic about who he is. So it depends on how you count the passages, right? It's not about counting the passages as such or counting the noses of theology. But Jesus was concerned to help people overcome their ignorance and lack of knowledge. To save them, you say. Well, yes, to save them, but saving isn't just, oh, okay, I believe in Jesus, but also being sanctified and growing in your knowledge of Jesus. Because the disciples were with them all the time, and they had lots of ignorance, and God, what? Reproved them. Christ reproved, Christ instructed, Christ directed. That's why he spoke on many different topics to different people and different issues to overcome their ignorance. They're ignorant about their sin. They're ignorant about the gospel. They're ignorant about Jesus. They're ignorant about God. They're ignorant about grace. They're ignorant about the law, right? And the Sabbath day, they're coming after Jesus. Is he turn around and say, hey, I got some good news for you? Or is he turn around and say, I'm going to tell you your view of the Sabbath is wrong. The Lord's day is wrong. And he corrects him. He corrects and confronts the, the Pharisees. You add up all those passages. He talked about all kinds of different kinds of things that fit under what rubric? The kingdom of God. It's a broader concept than the gospel. The kingdom parables. They're called kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like. <laughs> I must receive. A net. Whatever else it is. They taught the priorities and practices of living in God's kingdom. And then a specific teaching and preaching about God's kingdom called the Sermon on the Mount. So the kingdom parables mention the gospel. There are parables about the gospel, more than the gospel. And then you have kingdom living very specifically in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed, 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 blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those right who hunger and thirst after righteousness. What is that but teaching on sanctification? How to live like one who lives in God's kingdom. It assumes, in the example of the Sermon on the Mount, it assumes the good news of the gospel. I am the Messiah. You should trust and believe in me. Repent of your sins. That's a daily activity. You believe in God. You don't stop believing one day and believe in the next day. It's, it's always there in your heart, and sometimes it comes to your mind. And certainly sin comes along, and you repent of it when you can. It's assumed there in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's not explicitly expounded there. It's quite fascinating, isn't it? Because he knows it's for his audience. What, the, what does the audience need at the time? Christ knows and he gives it to them. It's instruction of the spiritual truths for the Jews of the day. And living under, under the conditions they found themselves living under, for example. Having to carry an extra mile, right, for the soldier. Up until this year, we would never have thought about ever applying it that directly to us, right? <laughs> After the resurrection, I just read that before, Acts 1.3. He continues to teach about the kingdom of God, a very broad topic, and to whom he also presented himself alive after he suffered, being seen by them during 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, traditionally, 
The Bible has been broken up in a twofold hermeneutic, although not rigidly in the sense of this is, these are the only two things you can ever talk about. Law and gospel. Law and gospel. Christ taught the law and its requirements, which you would call law instruction. His words in the Great Commission are what? Teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. What? Command. This, this is not a suggestion. <laughs> you got to do it. There's another word for that. It's called law. John 15, 17, I like this passage. These things I command you, that you love one another. And then, of course, he taught the gospel, the call of repentance and faith, gospel teaching, which both the law and gospel could conceptually be put under the larger category of the kingdom of God. If the gospel of the kingdom of God, that's the actual phrase there in Matthew, His rule, his good news, all of that. Whatever Jesus taught, we are called to teach. However you want to slice the categories of instruction. Paul and pastors follow Jesus when they teach the law and the gospel, as well as theology in general, and the kingdom of God broadly conceived. Preaching the kingdom, preaching the kingdom of Christ. What did Christ specifically preach? That's what we're called to do. That's what the Great Commission tells us to do. And then thirdly, preaching the kingdom of Christ with boldness with boldness. Or, as some say, with confidence. He preached the kingdom of God, the teachings of Jesus, with all confidence. Boldness, plainness, openness of speech, plainness of speech, no fear, no holding back, and with a consistency as well, no stuttering. We know what Paul's like. We've read his stuff, or Peter, for that matter, and the other apostles. The apostles were described as being bold in the book of Acts. Noticeably in Acts 4.13, it was so obvious. Now when they saw the boldness or openness or confidence, it's the same word, of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. So that kind of preaching is obvious even to the enemies of the gospel. It's the gift of God, to be sure. Acts 4.31, we read, When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness, or confidence, or an openness, without fear and trepidation. And that gift of God is not uniquely the apostles. In 1 John 5.14, we read, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now this is the boldness that we have in Him. Now this is the openness that we have in Him. Same word. That if we ask anything according to His will, He will hear us. What I mentioned this morning, you've got to make plans, and your plans are, you're hoping they're always in accordance to His will, and He will answer them or redirect them, and He will certainly hear us by the grace of Jesus Christ. It is this confidence that he has in preaching. It is the preaching of a man who does not fear men. They do not hesitate. They do not stutter. They speak clearly. They know time is of the essence. And they don't speak behind vague euphemisms and unclear language. They don't hold back their punches as we say. They are compassionate to be sure. You see Paul being compassionate to whom compassion is needed. 
but openness and forthrightness when it is needed as well. They have the wisdom to exercise it when it's appropriate. And they will bring the wrath of God upon those who need it. Paul did that, as you recall. He's like, fine, I'm tired of you guys. I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm leaving you to your own judgment. I'm going to the Gentiles. It's time for that. Time and place for all things under the sun. So we have bold apostles, but we know that gift of boldness and confidence that we have to pray anything according to his will is given to all of us to one degree or another. And we ought to pray, therefore, for bold pastors who follow Christ and the apostles with such clarity and such boldness to clear, to give clear teaching and preaching, to teach the law and the gospel, indeed the kingdom of God, as each audience needs to hear. Teaching the lordship of Christ as he is a ruler over his kingdom. And we ought to submit to him to teach it openly and not just on Sunday school, right? Well, we're a Calvinist on Sunday school. But in our morning and evening sermons, ah, you may or may not know for a Cal- We don't want to offend everybody. Christ preached the fullness of the kingdom. Peter and Paul preached the fullness of the kingdom as needed publicly. They didn't hide it in a corner and under a bushel. Is it true? Is it relevant? Then preach it. That's what they're called to do. Pray for such pastors, brothers and sisters. And, uh, you know, you can support them verbally, even if not monetarily. Support it. We pray for by the presbyteries, by the churches. And the examinations would be thorough. Now, of course, uh, the boldness of preaching is hard for presbyteries because many men come from other places. You're not with them. You don't have, you know, weeks upon weeks. So you have to take letters of accommodation from churches and take their word for it. Essentially, it's hard in many ways for a presbytery uh, to watch this very carefully because most of our men don't come locally anymore. We're a very fluid society. You've heard me mention that before, one of the limitations of that, the weaknesses of that. Well, that's where we are. So pray for such presbyteries and denominations and local churches to have wisdom to examine, to examine the men. And part of the examination is how bold are they? If you can get that kind of examination, if you can get that out of the meeting or the sermon he preaches. And, of course, to protect such bold preachers from lies and attacks upon them. People get offended. And they want to take that pastor down. How dare he preach so clearly against sin, like John the Baptizer, or even Christ, of course, in his many passages against the Pharisees. Pray for Presbyterians and churches to defend such men from slander and lies and those who wish to water them down because they're so fearful of the reaction by society. Pray for aid and support of such men, presbyteries, and churches to be bold and to preach the whole counsel of God, the kingdom of God. I didn't put that passage in here. I had a number of passages. That's the other one in Acts, where he goes to the church of Ephesus, the elders, and he said, I have not withheld from you the whole counsel of God. And that's more than just the gospel and the good news. It's the kingdom of God and it's sanctification and it's rebuke for lies and whatever else is entailed and needed for the body of Christ to grow both locally and regionally and nationally. And pray and work to be bold followers, not just bold pastors and leaders and presbyteries, but bold followers. You too, as I read in First John, can be bold and open and have confidence. Boldness and obedience, taking the Ten Commandments seriously in a society that wishes to tear them down, seeking a holy life, even if we lose our good name for wanting a holy life even if we lose our friends and family. 
for wanting to do the right thing and worship God and Him alone to follow His commandments. A boldness in faith, in the face of the world that hates us and our trust in Jesus Christ, that mocks us for believing in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. Not supporting in our boldness of faith means, on the negative hand, not to support or encourage speakers or pastors who do half measures of preaching and teaching. Again, that's a problem. It's a weakness. It is, it's hard to draw the line, I grant, so I don't want to be quick to judge, but it's easy to grab the nearest guy who says something great and wonderful when he's got all these other problems because it's so hard in our society to find men who stand firm on a whole host of issues. So they stand firm on one issue and they're weak on a bunch of issues and they're exalted. And that's, that can be a weakness and a problem, so we have to be careful about that. A boldness in the faith to support one another and support ministers in the preaching of the word who don't do half measures but full measures and that we would stand firm as followers of Jesus Christ and the fullness of the gospel and not accept anything less from the pulpit, from ministries and from books, anything else. And of course, both followers, not just in obedience and in faith, but always depending upon God, knowing that he empowers us by his spirit. Always dependence upon him, that the boldness that we have, the confidence that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, the broader idea of his rule over us. It's a godly rule, it's a good rule. We want him to rule over us because we know we can't rule ourselves without his power. Our king who rules us and guides us and protects us should be our source of confidence. And one day he will return to fully finish the kingdom work that he had begun as asked when will the fullness of your kingdom come? Jesus said, patience. You just go out there and preach and go from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we are the ends of the earth now, brothers and sisters. And God is working through us and growing his kingdom. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray, and bring fruition to your kingdom. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, with these words, may we be encouraged, as with Paul, though we're not called to preach and teach, As we are able, Lord, we do give some instruction and warning to people, God. And so in our little ways, we are little pastors and preachers. And this is fine as far as it goes, Lord. And may we not draw back, but speak clearly, Lord, the words of truth. Help us, God, to have confidence and boldness to preach not just the good news, but also the bad news of sin and judgment. And in all things, Lord, to preach and teach and live the kingdom of God. By your strength alone, may we do these things. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.